Welcome to Trebuchet Talks 2019. You're about to listen to Time in Space, which was recorded at Lalo in Latimer Road on the 8th of October 2019. Time and Space was also the title for Trebuchet Issue 6, and these talks include two of the artists that were featured in the issue. Our guests on the night were digital artist Alex May, who was talking about painting objects in a dynamic space. Visual artist and filmmaker Jordan Baseman, who was talking about psychohorology and radio influenza. And dark matter physicist Malcolm Fairburn, He's a professor at King's College London. We'll be presenting each of these talks as a separate podcast, so please subscribe. But in the meantime, here's our first talk from Alex May. Hello everyone, thanks for coming. This is uh, Trebuchet Talks 2019. Alex's work is um, a fantastic kind of exploration of, of hyperrealism or beyond photorealism, I suppose you'd say. Um, and one of the ideas in Alex's work, which he'll explain further, is the idea of how when you capture something in a photograph, you're capturing it in time in a very split-second moment, whereas when we perceive reality, there's context and things happen within a, a longer flow. Um, and some of the work that you can see behind your examples of, of his work that, that demonstrates this, that he'll explain a bit more. Um, I met Alex many years ago, so he's kind of an old friend, so it's good to have him, have him here as well. Nice to be here. Yeah. I know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> um, so, Alex, could you describe, I guess, firstly, your, your technique? What's the technique that you, that you use to create these, these fantastic works? Uh, so, yeah, very nice to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Um, so this, all of these, uh, these images were based off a, a process that I started exploring about 10 years ago uh, with an artwork that was a projection piece on, on, um, on the embankment. I think you probably came to it. It was, it was one of the statues um, pieces where people would stand there uh, in front of a screen and a camera. And, and if you stayed still... Uh, you would appear on the screen, but if you moved, you would uh, sort of disappear. And, and it was a, the idea about sort of statues, uh, physical statues being this this uh, very um, sort of things that if if you stop paying attention to them, they would kind of die. It was it was explored in the Chris Marker film. Uh, statues also die, but in French, which sounds much better. But I don't speak French. Um, so it was this this idea that that, uh, that that you could use a computer, you could use uh, digital techniques to reveal um, something interesting in the temporal uh, sort of field. So all of these images are, are sort of recognisable in a sort of physical world. They, they are very much digital, but they're they're very much based in in uh, a place that you recognise. There's seagulls. There's you know. Um, uh, people, there's insects flying around, but presented in a in a temporal way. So you see the path of birds in uh, and insects, and and you know you can start to recognise different kinds of birds and different kinds of insects by the the path that they they sort of lead. 
so it's very much the idea of, of using technology to reveal something about the real world that, that we can't see ourselves, this sort of augmented vision, which uh, was really interesting. In this uh, picture, where is that? Uh, this is uh, Philadelphia, uh, Philadelphia Museum of Art. These, these are known <coughs> as, the, as the Rocky Steps. Okay. So in, in the film Rocky, this is where Sylvester Stallone runs up. Um, and people do this all day long. It's like tourists <laughs> running up and down the stairs. It's actually quite easy. There's not actually that many stairs. The film makes it look a lot more, uh, a lot more difficult than it is. Um, and I was just, uh, this sort of ritual, I was, I was just really um, interested in. And, uh, yeah, so it's, it's just sort of capturing this I know strange... In, <laughs> in some of your other artworks, I suppose in this one as well, you can see the movement of obviously different objects in space as they interact with, um, was a good example. Uh, I quite like this one. This is, if I'm not mistaken, ants. This is ants. Um, can we go back to the Yeah, you can talk if you want. So in, you can watch how they interact with different aspects of, of the environment in a way and seeing how those, uh, I guess how objects create a three-dimensional space within time by avoiding certain things and interacting with each other gives a, a fuller sense of, um, of reality. There's a term that you use, I think, to describe it, wasn't there, which is hyperrealism? Or uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's an element of hyperrealism. I mean, it's, it's, it's the uh, point where you can see physical objects uh, taking the same space mm. uh, in time. But obviously, you know, it could be distant in, in that one could pass by uh, two minutes later. Um, and it's really, I mean, the, the process of taking these photos is, is I take sort of about five minutes of video um, and I take every frame of that video and use various algorithms that I've written to compress them down to a single image. Uh, and the process of taking these images makes me be more patient, and I, I get very impatient, and I want to see how they turn out. And, uh, and I have to just... I mean, this, this picture at Eden Project in Cornwall was a good example. It was right at the end of the day. There were no people about. It's kind of perfect, set up the camera. Uh, and I'm looking at all the little bugs and birds and things and going, this is going to be a nice shot. And then when I developed the shot, uh, there was so much more than I could see. Like, there were so many more birds and so many more insects and so many more shapes. Um, and it's this, although we have these, these incredibly, um, you know, amazing sight, eyes, things for, for seeing the world. Uh, Sensory they, organs. I think they're called eyes. Aren't they? uh, the, that uh, with the digital uh, layer on top of it, we can see so, so much more in a, although, although obviously the, the algorithm isn't processing them, it isn't going oh, that's a bird, that's an insect, that's a... But it's able to pick out details that, that physically we cannot. There was... Um, when you first showed me this work, I, there was a, a wonderful beach scene that looked like it had been painted by Cezanne or something like that. And um, being a, something of a cretin, my first question was, oh, this is fantastic, but, you know, imagine what it would look like if you had much higher resolution and, you know, you could really clean this up and it would be... Uh, 
indistinguishable from every, uh, you know, or not every, but uh, for a good, a good solid expressionist painting. And, and you, you looked at me slightly askance and said, yeah, I, think, I think you're missing the point. Uh, and please explain <laughs> a bit further on. It, it's, uh, <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> but it's, there's, um, there's a certain, uh, it's not trying to be like a, like a perfect rendition of how we see the world or um, I mean, a, a lot is spoken about resolution and, and colour depth and colour processing. And, and, you know, it's possible to spend an enormous amount of money on cameras and, you know, to, to try and capture uh, a, a resolution or a, or a colour depth uh, that is way beyond our, our physical abilities to say. I mean, there was that recent um, Chinese camera, the, the, the one that can take multiple megapixel things and can pick out faces in crowds and that are far away and yeah just yeah. just uh you know um and you know i'm interested in in uh kind of keeping the the digital nature of the of the work you know in, in a painting you can almost see the brush strokes and the you know the hand of the artist i guess the the um uh, and it's, it's why i like pictures like this where where it's you know very uh, broken up and there's lots of pixelization and stuff and I don't smooth that out and I don't uh, kind of try and remove that because that's innate to the nature and the medium of the work and I'm not mm. trying to um, make it anything else it's not a painting it's not a chemical photograph it's not you, know. you mentioned something there's also the the kind of digital aspect of it that you wanted to highlight the, the granularity of the image yeah. um, why is that? To, to highlight the process, uh, partly because because the these processes are, are mostly a pixel by pixel uh, algorithm. Mm. So it's 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 um, you know the, as I say there there are I've I've got layers of it where it's dealing with you know background subtraction and but it's not it's not using machine learning categorization to sort of say oh you know these are birds these are cars these are people. Mm. Um, so it's it's more about uh, being honest about the algorithm and and being upfront about it. And when I blow them up nice and big, I, I keep it like so the, the pixels get nice and chunky. Yeah. And, um, Are these the brushstrokes of a digital artist? Well, it's it's just you can stand back and, and see the the full image, or you can get right in there and lose yourself in some sort of. Uh, it becomes much more abstract, much mm. more. Um, so th there's a because the. The viewer is always the, the final connection in any artwork, and and your physical proximity to the work uh, is plays a part in that, and that's a temporal and physical um, point. Do you consider that you're uh, depicting truer life than a static image because you're showing it in movement? I'd, I've always had a lot of trouble with with still photos. I've, I find them really alien because it's it's. You know, we're presented with this thousands of times a day, this still image, and we never see people in a still image, you know. Um, and and yet it's, it's kind of normal, and, and, you know, sort of prized photographs sort of capture uh, a particular scene in an instant, and this is, it becomes very powerful, but it's very unnatural. And, and 
I've always steered away from uh, having still images. I've never done prints of my work. I've never done um, stills particularly. But uh, this, with this process, it suddenly made sense to me because, you know, this is five minutes. This is, uh, and this is, uh, contains, much, you know, the temporal axis as well as the, uh, just what's visual. So, and it reveals something new by including that. Well, you started this kind of, style of art um, five years ago? Yeah, ten years. Ten years ago. What, what have you discovered over the ten years of doing it? How have, how have you developed it? Uh, it as a, well, I mentioned it makes me a lot more patient when, when I'm having to take these pictures and I, and I go into this uh, you know, sort of trance-like state where I sort of wander around and looking at the birds flying around and, and you can't taking uh, pictures of, is not like a normal picture where you're just trying to sort of get a nice scene you have to think along this sort of time axis mm-hmm. um, and I re- a recent because I'm doing a VR project at the moment and I got a 360 camera and I got uh, a 3D VR 180 camera okay and these again change how you how you see the world so this 360 camera it takes obviously everything around it so the I kept taking all these pictures, but they've all got toilets in the back because, you know, I'm not, you don't take pictures and, and look in the background and go, oh, there's a toilet there. Maybe we should move on. And, and it's, uh, now I do. Um, and that's the point is, is like technology, phones, cameras, whatever, it, it affects how you view the world. It affects how you uh, relate to the world. Um, and this, this process, although this is very much uh, part of my practice, has changed how I see the world, uh, which for me is, is a... I've had this in, in several incarnations in the past, but to me that's a really interesting uh, medium, one that makes you as an individual look at the world in a different way. Your, I suppose a very high-profile commission you had recently was at the Francis Crick Institute, which um, I think many people have walked past and probably had a look at. It's in King's Cross. There we go. <laughs> um, could you explain... Work a little bit. Sure. So this uh, this was a yeah this was a really big commission for for them. It was it was their first uh, indoor commission for the building. And if you don't know the Francis Crick Institute, it's the UK Centre for Genomic Research. Um, it's the enormous building just by St Pancras Station. Uh, there's 1,200 scientists in there. There's Cancer Research UK and then Imperial College, and, and it really is the the forefront of um, the UK's uh, you know sort of scientific research, and and it was made from lots of different uh, other departments and, and places that they sort of uprooted and, and brought into central London. Uh, so part of the 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 commission was was they wanted to communicate something about this building and the work that takes place there to the outside world. If if you go to the Crick, um, there is an open part. You kind of come in through the foyer, and there's a big gallery over over here um, called the Manby Gallery, which has some really interesting um, sort of art sciencey kind of uh, shows on. Uh, but the rest of the building is, is ostensibly off limits because it's, it's behind the security gates and um, and there are tours, but but it's it's mostly you can't just wander in and, and sort of see the building. So I was uh, I was really interested in, in exploring the building, exploring the work that takes place there, uh, 
And one thing that really struck me was, was A, the building is just incredible and is this weird design. If you look at it from, from above, it's basically a chromosome. <coughs> it's, it's based on a sort of X chromosome. Um, and it's logistically incredibly complicated because they've got you know, all the gases and liquids and stuff that they have to get from one end of the building to the other to, uh, to feed all these various labs. Um, and it's uh, and, I, and I sort of got to the point where, where I was interested in the building as a subject and the science as a subject, but also people as a subject, because a lot of science is is presented as kind of uh, faceless and kind of you know you get a few people at the top of a scientific paper, but this is there are tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who, whose work is fed into these uh, discoveries. Uh, so the piece really tried to embody those three strands. And obviously, uh, you know, the scientists kept asking me, like, like are you going to communicate our science? And I said, no. Did you answer? <laughs> Flat out, no, because I can't. I mean, you know, they're, they're working on some of the most complicated stuff, um, you know, sort of cutting edge stuff. I don't understand it. And there's no way that without audio, without text, that somebody just wandering up and, and standing in front of this thing is going to yeah. understand it in any kind of meaningful way. So I wanted to... Uh, so the theme that I kind of kind of came up with was uh, curiosity and this idea that, that um, the people in this building were just curious people, which kind of links us all. If you're curious about the world... Uh, then you then you look deeper and you uncover things and and these are all tools and things. There's, there's lots of videos of sort of hands of people working and doing the science. And so all of these are they're screens. Yes, there's 28 screens. I mean, it's, it's a mad project. I, I I designed the whole thing and I built the whole thing by hand and I I wrote all the software that plays back video on these 28 screens simultaneously, like like kind of microsecond uh, accuracy. Uh, and did all the filming and, and all the rest of it. It was just, it was kind of nuts. But, but it was, it was a, a project where, you know, I was given unprecedented access to, to this place. Um, and I, th- I think, you know, sort of as communicating this, this scape, the, the scale and scope of the work that takes place was the, what I was after. I think visually a lot of the vignettes, I suppose you call them, that you've shown, they kind of describe the fistulas and the conduits of the buildings and also the movements of people mm. as, a, as a kind of giving the impression, to me at least, of a uh, interconnected ant-like <laughs> organic structure. Um, how knowingly, I mean, I think quite knowingly, but did you want to connect to the people, the process of curiosity and the, the building itself? Was that a... Yeah, that was, that was the... Um, I, I wanted people to, from outside, to look at to look at it and and not feel uh, that science was this thing that was far away from them. Like like there were just all these people doing all these jobs in there, mm. and their jobs. They're people who just you know they're pipetting every day. So much pipetting. <laughs> people don't realise how much pipetting in science. Um, and and data crunching and all this and all these processes. Um, and that, that it was people doing the science. Mm. You know, this isn't magic stuff that happens elsewhere. It's people doing it by card graft, and it takes years and years, and, but it's, it's done by people. 
the process of the work itself, I think you were explaining to me when you moved closer to it, it interacted in, in some ways. Uh, yeah, so there's the one slide, which is, is uh, that one. So when, when you're standing further away, yeah, this is the, the difficult bit where you're... <laughs> uh, so when you stand further away from it, uh, you see this, this uh, video piece play across the whole sculpture, uh, which is made from uh, video content from all of these different labs that, that I was in contact with, um, but combined into uh, this video art piece, about 15 minutes long. Uh, it was purposefully kind of combining stuff from cell labs and NMR labs and, and all these things. Uh, in the sort of presentation where, where you might think they're kind of fields of flowers or they're, they're very sort of natural forms, they cut, it's designed to sort of draw you in and, you know, so you can sort of... Because a lot of this, this footage never, ever gets out because it's just stuff that they use on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, it's usually passed on to some machine recognize, you know, machine learning kind of network which will count the, the cells or whatever. That stuff never gets out. Mm. Uh, but as you, as you get closer, then you start to see all these other videos of, of stuff. And, and the, the, the big overriding metaphor was the closer you look the more is revealed. Um, and in science, you know, they've got all these amazing, uh, there's a whole level of uh, NMR machines which, which analyze um, samples. It's uh, it? nuclear magnetic resonance uh, machines. Mm -hmm. And they, they basically come up with these, these kind of graphs uh, and it generates bigger and bigger data and, and they've got more data than they have ever had before. Uh, so it's, it's like, yeah, the closer you get, the more, the more data you have to process. Final question. What's the role? I mean, uh, on some level, I, well, I think you have a reputation as a technological artist, a person that uses... So. Sorry? I would hope so. <laughs> Someone that uses technology, um, probably building on what you said, to, to look closer at things and reveal. Um, where does that position do you think there is a, a movement in art towards things that have a more technological bent? Uh, the project I'm doing at the moment which is a, a, a VR project about mm. digital preservation um, re is really key to this because uh, for a long time I've been, I've been concerned about uh, you know if you choose to make work in, in a digital context you know, how long does it last? Or, you know, if, if I make a picture and I print it out, then that, that could be taken care of for, for a long time. But if I make an interactive artwork, uh, if I make, um, you know, something that requires specific hardware, the, the, it's really kind of, you know, it's got, kind of got like a five-year lifespan to it. Um, so I'm doing this project about, you know, how... Uh, you know, because we're creating so much digital culture and moving so much culture onto digital, um, I mean, I think the last stat that I saw was 5,000 hours of footage is uploaded to YouTube every minute. Um, who chooses what we're going to keep? Mm. You know, who, who makes that decision? You know, do you as content providers make that decision or does Google just say, well, actually, our hard drives are full. We've got to get rid of some stuff. Um, so it, it's it's uh, you know it's, it's what is gonna inf what is gonna when you look back in a hundred years or a thousand years time what are we gonna see mm. from this from this time and are we gonna see digital work are we gonna see 
um, you know, these uh, not just digital artworks, but digital culture. Mm. Um, and that's, yeah, something that, that uh, you know, is, is I'm sort of concerned about at the moment and will be a project that will be announced very soon. Can't wait for that one. Um, so just quickly, do, any questions for Alex? Yeah, uh, sorry, I've never really asked the questions, but uh, it's really interesting. I'm just wondering what, because you were talking about writing algorithms, whereas what's your actual background? Do you come from, I mean, do you, did you come through sort of art school or, or from a technical background? I, I, was, I was in this, this funny little time where uh, I was eight years old when I got a Sinclair ZX81. Hey. Yeah, I knew there's always a couple of people, um, and 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 I, I was just like, yeah, I love this. I'm just I'm just gonna do. But by the time I got to sort of uh, eighteen, there were there were really not a lot of um, digital courses and, and, and things. So actually, um, I was completely self-taught uh, and ended up doing. Uh, video art and computer-generated video art for my my A levels and things, and then and then, uh, but there was there was no real good course for me to do at university. So, yeah, pretty much just, and I've almost been programming for forty years, which is starting to get a little scary. <laughs> get really uh, cobwebs <laughs> in your code. Yeah, no, no, well, yeah, some of it. Some of it yeah. <laughs> Is there any other questions? Yes, I was just interested in the, the point you're making about preservation because when we're in the digital area, it's all interpreted by software. Mm. You've got the issues about storage, but you've also got the software interpreted. So there's no image until the software interprets and then renders the image. When the software is no longer available, there's no longer an image. Where's the preservation? What happened? What will we? You know, you said a little bit there, you know, what will we have in the future? Unless we preserve the underlying software that interprets it and can render it, we've got nothing. There, there are two schools of it at the moment. There's, there's emulation, so, uh, you know, the ability to, to, you know, run Windows 3.1 but on a contemporary machine and then, you know, or Flash or, or mm. all these things. Um, or uh, or the other one, which I can't remember. Now. But it's, it's it's adaptation. So so you recode it. You re you know, which is a sort of solar wick kind of. Uh, you know, you have the instructions, um, and it's 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 a weird question because it because it almost you need as an artist. You know, if you work in stone or metal or you know, you don't really need to think about it because your your work could potentially last for a very very long time. Um, but as a as a digital artist or or in, in other physical mediums which which aren't uh, which wouldn't preserve as, as naturally, uh, you need to ask yourself like like is that important to you? Because if it is, you have to ask you you have to make that plan like like kind of day one and and it's that um, sort of idea that the the end is made in the beginning uh, and you have to choose. Uh, what technologies you use, and I, and I and I find myself like choosing technologies for my artworks because I know they'll probably last longer than others. So I don't use Apple because you know it's it's just not a good platform. They're not interested. Windows is brilliant. 
It, no, it, no, but, well, <laughs> yeah, but for a preservation angle, even from a preservation, it, it used to be like uh, I don't know if it still is, but you know the most pirated software in the world. You know, and there's there's like it's it's really easy to emulate, and it's really easy. You know, so um, Apple probably did more to maintain backwards compatibility. Uh, I, I, I will fight you with the bar later. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, because, because it's, it's not, it's not a, a, a interesting concern for a big commercial company to support a very niche audience of artists who are going to go, we want our stuff to work in 20 years' time. Uh, and the problem is anticipating where the tech will be in 20 years' time is almost impossible. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, normally you wouldn't have... If I do a painting, I'm not anticipating where, where the materials of painting are going to be in 20 years' time. But is that a concern that as a digital artist that I have to have? And this is it's kind of weird because it's this other level of, of stuff that, um, and, and very few people think about it. But then I'm concerned that, that we, we're losing culture every day. We lose net art, we lose web-based art, we lose flash-based art. It's, all, it's just going down a big plug hole and we, don't, and we won't know until it's gone. Hmm. I think, uh, thank you very much, Alex. <laughs>